we know who are far from God. Um, I'll tell you why I use the term far from God. And it's, and it's this, because there are some people that we know who um, we may think, well, they, they might, they're probably believers. They say they're Christians, but maybe they're not walking with the Lord. Maybe they're not in a local church. They're, maybe they're not connected. Uh, maybe it's been years and years since they've been in a church before, or they've been in fellowship with other believers. So those are people to pray for and, and share the gospel with as well. We grow by the gospel every day, so we keep sharing it with everybody, and it, it helps bring us to Christ, and it also helps us grow in Christ. We use, we're using these transformation cards this way. We're asking you to um, put three names on the back of the card, sign your name. Um, if, if that's not that legible, <laughs> then maybe make a little note there, and then take that card and drop it in the offering box at the end of the of our worship gathering the reason being because we want to pray with you for those people we had about five cards um put in the offering box last week it was it was awesome we've we've got those cards we've got a list of names now we're going to begin praying for them so we want to encourage you to do that for people that you know who need jesus okay put those names down there we'll pray for them and you can drop that in the offering box at the end of the uh worship gathering this morning well, this morning we are uh, continuing on, as, as you all are aware, if you've been with us for, uh, if you've been with us before, you know that we, what we like to do is we like to get into the Word, we like to get into a book of the Bible, and we like to, to work through it and find out what the whole counsel of God is, what His whole revelation is. There are a lot of books in the Bible, 66 of them, so it may take me a while to get through. Um, I hope I'm still living and preaching by that time, and the River Church is still alive and well, and we're still we're still going, and we'll get through all of these books one of these days. But we're in we're in First Timothy, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles um, underneath the chairs. You can just grab one nearby, and then also um, you might want to have this handout ready too, because on the back of the handout there uh, are some some notes that you can use. It's just some blanks that you can fill out, and, and that'll hopefully help you as you uh, go along. If you're looking for First Timothy, it's near the back of, the, near the back of your Bible. Um, somebody maybe can grab a Bible and say what page it's on. I didn't get the page number, um, but it's near the back of the Bible. And um, we've been talking about the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel, which is the good news. Gospel is good news. The gospel is just that kind of that old English term for what, what Jesus and, and his, his disciples and the apostles in the early church understood as, as great news. Not just, hey, this is okay stuff to know, but it's like, hey, victory in Europe day, uh, victory uh, over Japan day. I mean, world-changing news. I mean, this is good news. The gospel, we've been talking about the gospel in the household of God. Paul's writing to Timothy, who's, who's working in a church as his representative. He's helping the church to grow, helping it to be equipped, to do its mission, to live out the truths of the gospel. And, and there were people coming into the church that were teaching false doctrine. They were teaching error. They were trying to lead people astray. They were trying to get them to, to steer away from the true gospel into some other... Yeah, 
Well, we, we went into that before, but then to all kinds of other beliefs about Scripture and about how you're supposed to live your life. So, so then Paul's been, um, if Paul's been talking, we noticed last week, he, he talked about what are the qualifications or the, or the characteristics of an overseer, an elder, a pastor, the, the, those, those people who God appoints to be over his church, to lead the local church. We talked about that last week. We got into that a bit. And then today we're going to take a look at an, a different category of servant or worker or leader in the church. A slightly different category. We know, um, as, as, soon as, we see the, as soon as you see the title, you see the title of the Gospel and Deacons, immediately you're thinking, okay, I've got a reference for deacons. It could be good and it could be bad. Um, I knew a pastor who, uh, upon coming to a, a new church, he disbanded the deacon body. We're not, we don't need any deacons here because all they do is cause trouble. All they do is try to, you know, do things the way they want. To. And um, so, wow, okay, there's a shot. Well, now we know where he's coming from. Now we know how he feels about deacons, right? Well, we're going to look to this morning. We're going we're gonna to see a lot of things, actually. So I'm not going to take too much time um, introducing this anymore because we got a lot to get to. But let's find out what deacons are really all about. Let's find out what, what, what is a deacon and what are their characteristics? What are they supposed to be like? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read this to you. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father. Speak to us now through your word. Give us understanding. I pray that you will guide my word, that you will give me the words to say. God, as I, have, as, I prepare, as I deliver what you have prepared for me, God, may it edify us, may it equip us. God, may we be encouraged by it. May we see your glory in your word. Even this word about deacons, about these women, about your church. May it edify us, help us to grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's get, let's get into this. The first thing, um, the first thing I, I want us to talk about is that the gospel is displayed through the service of deacons. The gospel is displayed through the service of deacons. So here's what, here's what he's trying to kind of get at here. Uh, when he starts off, he's, deacons likewise must be dignified. Well, um, He's trying to talk, he, he's trying to get 
the same point across that he, that he tried to say about the overseers, the elders or the pastors, that deacons display the gospel through moral reliability. They've got to be morally reliable people. They've got to be men that you can really count on to do the right thing. That's what deacons are to do. Um, we're get, I'm going to get into some of the details here, but really briefly, let me go back to um, Acts chapter 6 to probably a familiar passage, one that you've, I'm sure you've heard before if you've been in church for any period of time. For some of you, it might be, it might be news. Some of you might look at the story and go, well, I'd never heard that story before. Um, so let me just briefly take a look at it with you. Um, deacons, we see an introduction to deacons in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And here's what happened. I'll kind of summarize. Um, the church existed in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 6, the church is in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where Jesus was crucified and rose again. That's where the, the disciples or the apostles um, gathered and began to preach the good news and talk about Jesus and that he had, had lived and died and rose again. And the church began to grow. It began to grow. And there were, there were people in Jerusalem who were very Jewish. Like, they, they, were, they were brought up in the synagogue. They, they had all of the Jewish customs. They didn't have any of the kind of, uh, they didn't have any of the culture that was in the Greco-Roman world at the time. They didn't have any of that culture really infiltrating them. But there were some who were Jews who had come from other parts of the world and were very enculturated. They dressed differently. They cut their hair differently. They had different customs. And so here they are together, all in Jerusalem, all one church. But there's a group of them that's getting left out. They, were they, were, they had a plan to take care of widows, but the, the really, really Jewish widows were taken good, good care of. But the ones they called the Hellenistic widows, the, the, the widows who were from a different culture, they were being neglected. They were being neglected. And they said, hey, something's got something's to be done. The church started grumbling. They started thinking, these, these needs aren't being met. So what are we going to do about that? And so they, what they did was they got all the church together and they said, look, it's not right for us apostles. What does he say? What did they say? That we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so they all agreed. They said, that sounds like a great idea. So they picked out these seven men, one of whom is described in full, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They picked these men out. Incidentally, all of these men had Greek names. They had Greek names. They were, they were going to be able to connect with the people that were being neglected. These, the widows and, their, and, and their, their, any, anyone attached to them, any family re, uh, relations or whatever, they'd be able to connect with them. They picked out men who would connect with them. They, were, they could speak the language. They could relate to their culture. They were full of faith. They were full of the Holy Spirit. They were men of good repute. They had a good reputation, and they, they served. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And it says that the word of God increased. 
what an what a great what a great situ- what a great story because we see that out of some probably some conflict hey we're not being treated fairly we're not getting what we deserve out of that conflict came a solution deacon so we see here the really a story of the first deacons um they were appointed to serve this greek word um or the, the word that we use deacon is actually um practically a transliteration of the greek word which was diakona so deacon diakona is very similar the the word is used actually 20 times in the new testament and the root word the root of it so which could be in a verb form like to deacon or he deaconed which actually is usually translated serve the root word is occurs a hundred times in the new testament and incidentally, almost every time it's refer, it is translated as servant. Servant. Sometimes it's translated as minister. And then there are those cases where we see here that, well, it's more than just, the, it's more than just, uh, he's more than talking just about a servant. He's talking about a particular group of people, a particular function or role in the church. And so here we have the word deacon. It's a technical term here for for that person who's got that official, um, official service role in the church. Well, it, here that, that's kind of uh, more about deacons, but look what he says. He says, deacons likewise. And when he says likewise, he's, he's saying, look, I'm, gonna conti- I'm continuing on a line of teaching that I started with outsiders. And so in the same way that there are qualifications for, for those overseers and those elders, um, in the same way, there are some qualifications for deacon. Okay, a, a new subject uh, in a similar manner. He's introducing here, and he says deacons must um, be dignified. Um, the the words that are in my ESV must be. They're not there in the original language. In fact, there's no verb at all in that in that sentence. And what we see <laughs> is that Paul is borrowing. The word that he used in verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Deacons likewise, dignified. Literally, it's what it says. Deacons likewise, dignified. We add, our translations add, must be or are to be, because he's saying the same things. This is important because as we go through this passage, we want to make sure that what we're seeing is this is something that the Apostle Paul really cared about. It was important. It's important. He, he's preaching and he's delivering this teaching under the apostolic authority that was given him by Jesus. So what he gets into is the character, the character or moral reliability of these deacons. Look what he says. He says they need to be dignified. It means they need to be worthy of respect and honor. Think about a person that you really honor, that you really respect. The way they live their lives, the consistency of their moral lives, that's the kind of moral reliability we're talking about that needs to be in a deacon. Now, a deacon is not double-tongued. What does that mean? Well, it re- this word only appears one time in the New Testament. It's right here. But the idea is that this, a deacon must, be, must not be excuse me, insincere. What they say is what, what you get. What, what, they, what you see is what you get. That there's, there's sincerity in 
the way they act, the way they speak, not addicted to much wine. Well, they're, they're not known for drinking. At the very least, we know that, hey, the deacons aren't, aren't partying on the weekends. They, they're not known for um, alcohol consumption. They're known for something else. <laughs> they're known for their character. They're known for their, their um, we're get, we'll get to this in a second, but we're, they're known for their faith, not their drinking. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for dishonest gain. This, actually, this word uh, appears where at? Um, Titus. Titus 1.7. Only one other time in the New Testament. So just two times here and another place. And it has the idea of being shamelessly greedy for money. You know, we don't want, to, we don't want deacons who are, who are looking, for, looking to get rich. Looking to do whatever they can. In their running their businesses in order to, you know, try to make a buck, whatever way they can. Shamelessly greedy for money. Well, their moral reliability is an important characteristic. But Paul also goes on to say that they have to uh, demonstrate family leadership. So deacons display the gospel through demonstrated family leadership. This should sound familiar because didn't we talk about this last week with overseers? He says a lot of the same things here. A lot of the same things between the deacons and the overseers. Here he says, um, in I, I'm jumping down to <clears throat> jumping down to verse eleven. No, I'm excuse me. Um, jumping down to verse twelve. Verse twelve. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Once again, he says. Deacons, you got to be just like the overseers in that you need to be faithful in that marriage relationship. Your your marriage represents the relationship or the the picture of God and His people, or or Christ and His church, His His bride. Um, the 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 marriage relationship of a of a leader in the church, whether it's a an elder or a pastor, or whether it's a deacon. Um, that marriage relationship is supposed to, supposed to define God's intention. One man, one woman, a, a sacred marriage, a permanent marriage. That's what it's supposed to represent. So a deacon who is unfaithful to his wife is actually unfaithful in his witness to the gospel. A deacon is supposed to um, lead, or here we get the word manage or steward, steward their children and their own households well. A deacon is supposed to, to shepherd his, his family. Just as, just as elders are supposed to shepherd faithfully their family. Well, a deacon who is faithfully shepherding his family and leading them and, and helping them to grow is going to be somebody you can count on in the church to help the church grow. You know, a deacon should, rep, should demonstrate, just as an elder should, that he is able to disciple his family. That he's able to raise up his, his family to make disciples of Christ in his own family. Ephesians 6. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 6. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction, in the discipline of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, but disciple them. Help them to grow in their faith. Teach them the word. 
Help them to learn what it means to follow Jesus. That's, shoot, that, that's something for every man, every father. Not just for deacons and elders, but for every man. So, but, but Paul's saying, look, hey, if you're not getting that right, then should you have the responsibility for leading other people? For leading in the church? No. The answer is no. Deacons display the gospel through demonstrated family leadership. They also display the gospel through consistent belief and behavior. Look what he says, uh, jumping back to, to verse 9. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Hold the mystery of the faith. The mystery of the faith is what God has revealed. When you, and incidentally, when you ever see the word mystery in the New Testament, you're looking at something that's not unknown. It's not something that's hidden. It was at one time, but when Paul says, hey, this is a mystery, he's talking about something that's been revealed. Something that, that, that God has revealed. That's what it is. It's a revelation of God's plan of salvation. This mystery of the faith is really kind of that, it's really that gospel message that Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and he rose, that we could be saved. They, the deacons have to hold on to this mystery of the faith, hold on to this faith. And he uses faith. Why doesn't he use the word gospel? I think it's because he is thinking in terms of a much wider scope than just, the, just hey, let me give you the gospel presentation. Let me just tell you about Jesus. But he's talking about the whole mystery of all that God has revealed. Everything that God has revealed as truth through his word. And deacons must hold it. Hold it how? With a clear conscience. They have to live out. They have to live out the truth. They have to have consistency between what they believe and how they behave. They've got to, what are the terms? To practice what they preach or to, uh, to walk the talk, right? Their lives should exemplify what they believe. They need to hold it with a clear conscience. And that is why, that's why he says they need to be tested. That's why he says they need to be tested. They should be tested. Uh, you know, with overseers, uh, Paul doesn't say, uh, test the overseers in this passage. But the implication is that, you know, if there's not some kind of assessment, how are you to know how overseers are supposed to act, how elders are supposed to act? But here, he makes it very specific. It's, it's as if he's saying, well, it's mandatory that men be tested as to whether they should be appointed to this office. They have to prove themselves blameless. That should make us a little uncomfortable, actually. Prove themselves blameless? Like, are you talking about sinless? Are you talking about perfect? Um, well, maybe not perfect, but they should, be, they should be able to pass the test. They should be able to get into the 360-degree mirror and pass the test and to have people from all angles look at them, to be able to say, hey, if you want to know about me, Ask my wife, ask my children, ask the people I work with, ask my bosses, ask my coworkers, um, ask ask the, the people on the PTA or the booster club, ask people, test whether or not I am a man of, of good standing, whether I am a man who is blameless in the way I walk. 
This is how deacons gain uh, what he says in verse 13, how they gain a good standing for themselves. They get a good reputation. They're able to stand in their community and in the church because they have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What do they have faith in? Not that they are, re- not that they are righteous in and of themselves. Not that they have it all together. Not that they live perfectly. Not that, hey, look at my kids. They're perfect. They never messed up. That's not what he's saying. But they have faith in Christ Jesus. His righteousness. That's our, that's our verse for the week. His righteousness. They have faith in that. That he is righteous on their behalf. And that they, they live a life. They live a life of repentance. And constantly falling on God. And, and co- going to Christ. To give them the righteousness and the power that they need to live their lives. There's grace here. There's certainly grace here. So we have this description of, of deacons. And some of you may, be, may have thought or have maybe seen some care, comparisons in the past. Well, what's the difference between the deacons and the elders? They have a lot of the same characteristics, don't they? I mean, they're supposed to be dignified or they're supposed to have good reputations and, and good with their families, leading their families. So, so what are they supposed to, to do? What's, what's the difference? Well, I'll say this, and then I'll, and I'll give you an example from it. What do deacons do? This is something, this would be a good thing to write down, actually. Um, I didn't put it in your notes. There are no blanks, but you can find some space there. What do deacons do? They primarily serve the temporal needs or the physical needs of the church. They primarily serve the temporal needs of the church. Temporal meaning they're temporary. They're, you know, if you, if, if, you have your, if you get your car fixed, if you get your, your, um, your windows um, replaced, if you, if you get some groceries, if you get a visit at the hospital, if you know what I'm saying? These are all things that, um, while they are significant and they're important, they're not going to carry on into eternity. We're gonna, those are going to go away, and we're going to have a new experience, a new life, a new body in eternity. But they're temporal in that they're, they're, these, they're these physical needs that we meet. What do elders and pastors do? This is important too. They primarily serve the spiritual needs of the church. They primarily serve the spiritual needs of the church. And notice that I'm using the word serve in both cases. Deacons serve, elders serve. Deacons serve, pastors serve. Where do, you, where do we find that? Well, back in Acts, we were looking at Acts a moment ago, Acts chapter 6, the elders are, are, are shown to have the responsibility to lead spiritually, to serve spiritually. They said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Ministry has the root, is that word that we're talking about here, deacon. The ministry of the word, the service of the word, to serve spiritual needs. They said, we will devote ourselves to that. We will serve the spiritual need. Deacons, they said this very specifically, you will serve tables. Serve tables. Deacon tables. Minister to those, those physical needs that the people have in the church. And yeah, sure, there's overlap. 
There is definitely overlap. There are deacons. Deacons are often called on to teach and to minister spiritually. They're supposed to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're supposed to know the truth. They're supposed to walk in it. So yeah, there's some overlap. Just like every follower of Jesus is a minister. Every follower of Jesus should be able to share the good news and minister to spiritual needs. And elders often serve the temporal needs and serve the physical needs. I mean, what pastor you know who, said, who would say, I, I'm not going to do hospital visitations because we're going to have deacons do that. Well, I would say, well, come on, man. Come on, you, you, need, you need to help. You need to serve. You need to step up in that way too. But the emphasis is on their primary, not to be neglected areas of, of service or functions in the church. If the pastor elder is, is neglecting that spiritual function to meet spiritual needs, just like the early church in Acts 6 was on the verge of doing, we're in dangerous territory. We're in a dangerous place. So they can't neglect their primary function. And deacons step up and take care of that, those physical needs, take care of that primary function. Well, let's go on to the, um, let's go on to the next little section here because um, you're probably wondering about verse 11, um, if you haven't actually studied that before or haven't gotten, kind of opened that can of worms, we'll just open it and we'll sort through it here. Um, so that's what we'll do here, verse 11. Um, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So what is he saying here? Uh, here's the kind of, here's the big, big idea. The gospel is displayed through the character of women. So what does he say about these women right here? What, he, what our, a lot of our English translations say is wives. Um, he's talking about character. He's talking about their character again. You could uh, we use the same term. We could say moral reliability or that type of thing too. But it's character. Well, who are these women? Who are these women? The ESV, my, my translation that I'm preaching from, says their wives. Says their wives. And so does the old NIV version. The newer NIV version says the women, the women. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says wives, just wives. No other added anything. Um, the New American Standard Bible says women, women. So what is it? Wives, their wives, the women, wives, women. What is it? Well. The winner is the New American Standard Bible, if you wanted to know. As far as which translation gives it to us literally, the literal word, the, the word here, this, this simple Greek word, is, is just a plural, a plural form of that word for woman or wife. There wasn't a separate word for wife in Greek. Like we have, we have women and wives, or ladies and wives. You know, we have a word called, we have a word spouse. The Greeks didn't have those words. They didn't have a separate word to differentiate between just a woman in general and a wife in particular. So what we have to do is we have to look at these and figure out what's the context? What's going on here? How should we interpret it? So who are these? Um, if, If it's just women likewise, dignified, literally. Women, likewise dignified. 
Who are they? There are three, um, three general possibilities, and some may you know, split hairs here or there. But let me give you the three general possibilities. One is that they're the deacon's wife. Just like, kind of, just like this translation says, their wives. So it's the wives of deacons. The wives of deacons. Um, or, number two, it could be women deacons or deaconesses. That's kind of weird. We don't think about that very often, especially in Baptist churches. We go, well, we don't have women aren't deacons in Baptist churches and in a lot of other churches too. Um, but that could be a possibility based on the, the, the original translation. Women deacons. Or it could be, probably not likely, but it could be women or wives in general. Just wives in general. Just any wife. Any woman in the church. There, 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 could, there, there actually is some merit to that. Um, but it, it's probably one of the other two. So why is he coming up? Why is he bringing up women here in this discussion? Just right in the middle of this. He's talking about deacons. And then he kind of goes off to these women. And then he comes back to deacons. Um, that's pretty good evidence that he's talking about deacons' wives. That, that somehow along in, you know, in, the, in the course of the discussion, he's talking about deacons and anything. Oh, let's not forget the women, you know, their wives. And, and maybe we could even apply that to the wives of, of elders or pastors. Um, this is how they're supposed to be, women of character. That's completely consistent with every other passage about women in the entire New Testament. We looked at that back in 1 Timothy 2. Um, earlier this spring, we saw that in 1 Peter 3. So it's perfectly consistent with what the New Testament teaches about women. Well, let me give you some, let me show you a few things here, just observations about what's going on here, so we can get a better idea. First, the verse is introduced in the exact same way that, um, that the deacons are introduced. Likewise. So it's women likewise. So it's as if he's, he's introducing, he may be introducing a new subject. A new subject, a new, a new discussion point, similar to his discussion on overseers and similar to his discussion on deacons. And he uses the word likewise, and we supply the same verb, must be, because that's not in the, tra- in the original uh, translation either, in the original language. Their wives, likewise, must be. We add that in there because it's the same kind of, uh, it's that new subject. Um, second, um, there's no discussion about wives or the wives of overseers um, in the previous passage. Um, even though the same discussion about the men, they, they've got to be husbands of one wife. So there's no real discussion there in overseers. So you would, you would think, although it's an argument from si- silence, that maybe Paul would have, if he was thinking about the wives of both groups, he might have mentioned them earlier too. Maybe he forgot to mention them, and now he's just covering them in this subject on deacons. That could be. Um, third, there is no, I don't get too technical, but the possessive um, pronoun, my or there, the word there, that's not in the original language. There's no possessive pronoun. Usually when there's a, like, my or your or there, it's, it's usually there to indicate a relationship. The relationship, the husband and wife relationship. We see that in Ephesians 5.22. Ephesians 5.22 says, 
women doesn't, or excuse me, it doesn't say women submit to men. It says the women or the wives submit to your own men. Wives submit to your own husband. So there's a possessive uh, word in there to indicate a husband-wife relationship. There isn't one here, which is interesting. Many, many then um, believe that, that this is referring to the wives of deacons, possibly the overseas and elders, and, and then they will, they will judge then the men by the character of their wives. They will, they will place, they will take this and go, this is how the wives are supposed to be. So now you are no longer looking at me and how I live my life, but you're actually looking at my wife and you're going, well, how does she dress? How does she behave? How does she act? Is she volunteering for stuff? Is she leading the women's ministry? Is she the children's director? Is she this and that? And all of a sudden there's this scrutiny that's placed on the, the deacon's wife or the, the, the elders or pastor's wives, and they, they then feel the, the pressure of being the first lady of the church, which I say is a bunch of baloney, but and now, it's on, now, it, now I'm on record as that, and you can go back and listen to this and hear me say that. Um, the, honestly, based on, based on some of the things I've just discussed, it, the, the natural reading is that there were women in the church that Timothy was serving at, who were serving in some kind of capacity like the deacons serve. Maybe they were there to meet needs in the church that, that the men would find difficult or uncomfortable or maybe outside of what they should do. Maybe, maybe the possibility that these were women who were, who were fulfilling a teaching role. Maybe they were teaching other women. Maybe they were helping to nurture the children. Maybe they, were, maybe they were doing ministry to unwed mothers. Maybe they were doing ministry to Sunrise House. Maybe they were, or maybe they were, they were organizing the women to serve in those areas. Um, I was reading an article just the other day, an interview actually with a woman who was, um, man, it's bro- it, it broke my heart hearing her part, at least part of her story about how she was abused at an early age, how she got caught up in the sex industry. Um, it was just a really tragic story, but how God saved her out of that. And now she is, has a ministry where, where women are coming together and they're engaging women who are caught in that kind of a lifestyle. And they said, we don't stand outside of those joints. We don't stand outside we go right in there to minister to those ladies because they need to know that they're loved and that we are there to shine the light in their darkness, not to say, hey, come out to us where it's light because that's, they, won't, they won't ever come out. And I thought about that and I thought, don't we need women who are dignified, not slanderers, not, excuse me, they are sober-minded, they're faithful in all things. Don't we need women like that? to do the kind of ministry that we as men, there's just no way we could do. We can't go there. We can't do that. But the women, the women can. So like deacons and elders, their character must demonstrate that the gospel is at work in their lives, that they're dignified, they're worthy of respect and honor, 
that they're not slanderers. Uh, you, did you know that this word, not slanderers, the word slanderers here, is diabolos, the devil. It's the devil. They're not doing the work of the devil. They're not doing the work of accusing other people, slandering, bringing other people down. It's a slightly different than the word that's normally used to talk about slander, and that is the word that we get blaspheme. But the women are, are not to be slanderers. They're to be instead sober-minded. They're temperate. They're sober. They're level-headed. They're faithful in all things. They're completely trustworthy because the gospel is at work in their lives. That they can be trusted. They can be trusted. The gospel is displayed through the character of women. So I'll say this, that no matter what kind of structure a church has, it certainly needs women who are going to step up and be women of character and lead out in those areas that we as men can't do. Maybe that's where somebody like Beth Moore fits in, who has a ministry to women, to teach the gospel, to teach God's word to women. And there's many others that you can, you can mention too, and there are probably a lot of women that you know of who are doing that kind of thing. Well, women should demonstrate the gospel, just as these men in these other roles should demonstrate the gospel in the church. Finally, and I'll end, and we'll just get through these next few verses. They're so rich, verses 14 to 16. But very briefly, the gospel is displayed through the behavior of the church. All of this leads up to, I mean, Paul is very specific. It's very natural to read this and go, okay, here's his reason for telling all this. I hope to come to you soon, he says, but I'm writing these things, these things about prayer and worship and men and women and, and elders and deacons and these other women, whether they're the deaconesses or they're, they're the wives or whatever they are. I'm writing these things to you so that if, I'm, if, if, it's, if it takes me a while to get to you, you're going to know how you're all to behave as the church. You're, you'll know how to behave. You'll know what to believe and how to put it into practice. Notice that this is where our, our, our series title comes from, the household of God. Paul is writing these things because he wants us to know how to be the household of God. What, is the gospel, what does the gospel look like in the household of God? Because we are a family. We are a community. That's what we are. That's what we are. That's what this word household means. Not just house, a building, not just a home a place where your nuclear family exists, but your household, the extension of your family in all of the relationships that you have. We are a family, a community on mission in the world. That's what we are. The church displays the gospel as the household of God. The church displays the gospel as the pillar and a buttress of the truth. A pillar, this is that, this is that support, the, the images of, the support for the structure, that it holds up the structure. And this is interesting because a lot of times we think of the church as being the structure because Paul in other places says, you are the temple of the living God. You are the building that, the, that God is building. But here he's like, no, you're actually the pillar in the building and the building is, the, is faith, truth, the gospel, the Bible, right doctrine. You are a pillar of the truth. 
You hold up the truth. You oppose false teaching. You have the true gospel. And you need to preach it and be faithful to it. And then he says you're a buttress. This is the only time this word comes into We don't use this word very often. Buttress? What is that? It's that that support. We think of it as it's that support that comes that that kind of comes out from the side of the building and keeps the wall straight up and down. It keeps it straight up and down. For us, um, and even for the New, in New Testament times, the buttress was the basis for something. It was the thing that provided a, a firm base. It was solid. It was immovable. It was permanent. The church is that. The church is, by God, the immovable, permanent structure. The basis, the thing that holds up truth. If we lose the truth of God, where is the truth in our society? Where will the truth be in our world? If the church doesn't remain faithful to God's word, who will? Nobody. Nobody. But as, as we heard in Psalm 93, you are from everlasting to everlasting. God is permanent. And just, just like God, the church, as it behaves, as it, as it holds up the truth, as it exists and lives as a household of God committed to God's word, we become that permanent fixture. We, we demonstrate the gospel message, the story that, that God has come and he's done something in Jesus that we couldn't do for ourselves. Look at this hymn in verse 16. This Paul, I believe Paul's quoting a hymn that the early church sang or recited or, um, in, their, in their worship gatherings. And here's what it says. He was manifested in the flesh. I mean, he came to earth as a human being. He was vindicated by the Spirit. His resurrection was by the power of the Holy Spirit and proved, vindicated, justified him as the Son of God. His, he was seen by angels. His power was on display for all the angelic beings to see. Proclaimed among the nations. He was proclaimed. The gospel then was was preached to all people, all nations. Even in Paul's time, the gospel was going out everywhere. And and they were they were singing songs essentially to the effect of, God, you are so good. We know that there's more work to be done, but we can pray and sing to you as if it's already been done. Because it's as good as done when you do it. And it's your mission that's that's being accomplished. And that's how they pray that's how they talked about it as if it had already happened people um or the the next phrase believed on in the world people all over the world have already believed and then finally taken up in glory uh, that that image we should it should sound like the ascension the ascension how jesus ascended into heaven the point being that that jesus has been exalted to the right hand of god and he is in glory, and he is ultimately um, powerful, ultimately righteous, ultimately just, ultimately interceding on our behalf, doing what he does at the right hand of God, exalted as he is in glory. The church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. It protects right belief. It protects right behavior. It practices right behavior. And if we stray from those beliefs, or we stumble in our behavior, then we betray the gospel. 
that we are to display to the world. So what is, what's going on here? The church has offices for elders, deacons, and perhaps even for women. Some churches have that. That, that are, they're meant to maintain, those offices are meant to maintain right belief and right behavior. We can argue about this and that. We can argue about the, the, the wine or the alcohol. We can argue about um, the women and where they're supposed to be exactly in ministry, whether in our church or in other churches. But the ultimate thing is, are we on the truth of what God has revealed in Scripture? Are we practicing the gospel? Are we holding to that right belief and that right behavior? Without these men and women of character in the church, our beliefs and our behaviors are going to be compromised. And we'll compromise the gospel itself. It's happened too many times in the history of the church. And it shouldn't happen with the river church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for teaching us this morning. I thank you for having a word for us. Um, God, I admit, every time I go to your word, I, I grow, I, I, I hear from you, I, I am transformed, I'm challenged. I don't always understand everything, but I do know that, God, you want us to stand firm on your truth. You want us to be a church that is a community under you. You are our chief shepherd. You're our chief elder. You are our chief servant, deacon. God, you love us. You desire for us to uh, walk according to your ways, to know you and to know the Father, to know your Son, to know the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you will take this word that we've heard this morning and then you will use it to transform our lives, to make us the kind of people you want us to be. God, now as we, as we listen to a song, as we sing, as we respond, God, I pray that if, if there's something you need to, to, uh, to have one of your people here commit to you, a decision that has to be made, God, I pray that you will, you will speak and that you will give, um, give the, those people the courage to uh, respond in the way that you would have them. I pray I'll listen in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to listen to a, a song and sing along with it. Um, as the music is